0: Cheers. Cheers. Please be seated. My brothers and sisters in Christ, good evening. It's a great joy to be with you once again for this last night of our mission we titled Called. It's a reminder we're all called by God, essentially to a life of holiness, a life to be a saint. And hopefully these figures in scripture have helped us to see that though their lives are not perfect like our own, by giving their lives over to the Lord, he made it something beautiful. Before we begin, just a quick uh, show of hands. How many of you were here for the first mission night? Put your hand up. Okay, now keep your hands up. How many of you were here for the second mission night? Okay, everyone put their hands down. How many of you here for the first time tonight? Welcome, welcome. Hopefully you were able to t- tune into our live streaming, as many people are watching this evening. And just to recap, as we conclude our mission, on our first evening, Abraham's faith, we saw as tested and rewarded. And last night we experienced David's kingship, not perfect, but a man overall after God's own plan for his life. Now, I have to confess that I did this mission in a little over four years ago in Leamington. And one of the comments I received from the parishioner I knew during my time there as an associate pastor helped me to put together this last section of the mission. She said, great talk, Father. Really appreciate the message and insight. But one thing kind of bothered me. Where were the women in scripture? That comment has haunted me for the last four years. And I promised if I would give a mission like this again, I would accept the challenge of finding a call story of a woman in Scripture. So challenge accepted. I wrestled with it a bit, and honestly, my first thought was Mary. But to be honest, I already had done a mission just next door in Tilbury Comber on Mary of December of last year. I wanted to provide something fresh for you. That's when it hit me. What about the true original girl boss of scripture? Esther, or Queen Esther, as she's known in the story. So tonight, we conclude by wrapping up with Queen Esther's call story, and how she single-handedly saved a nation, with God's help, obviously. The book of Esther is quite short, which is perfect for us because that way we can get right into the action and glean as much as possible from the story. The story is about love, intrigue, conspiracy, and ultimately putting God in charge of one's life. The story takes place in the Persian capital of Susa during the reign of King Ahasuerus, and it is a time that the Jewish people are living in exile. They are away from the Promised Land, the land of their ancestors, and are required to live a whole new life without a temple or a place to offer sacrifice to God. The story begins with the deposition of the rightful queen, Queen Vashti. During a banquet, the king invited Vashti after seven long days of partying on good wine to come out before the crowd in her royal crown and show the peoples and the princes her beauty. But she refused to do so. The king was furious. And on seeking the advice and counsel, he believed not only did she offend him directly, but offended all the provinces and people who were under his charge. In essence, It was a crime against the state. Her punishment was banishment from the kingdom. Now with the throne empty, the king had a tough task of finding a replacement. The king called for all the beautiful young virgin women to come to the kingdom to find a worthy replacement. I guess it was a kind of predecessor to the reality show, The Bachelor. Now, it is in this part of Scripture that we are introduced to Mordecai. And he is a Jew that was exiled to Persia. And he brought with him his uncle's daughter, her name, Esther. The Scripture describes her as beautiful and lovely. Without parents and orphaned, Mordecai adopted her and treated her as his own daughter. With the edict sent out to find a new queen, Esther is whisked away to the king's palace. And she knocks his socks off and wins favor with him. She becomes the new queen, Queen Esther. Meanwhile in the background, Mordecai is in a bit of hot water with the authorities. For Mordecai, because of his faithfulness to the king, helped to quell an assassination attempt on King Ahasuerus' life. The king made Mordecai a servant of the king's gate, essentially a sort of private security detail. The issue is Haman, the king's highest official, has a bit of an ego trip, and decides whenever he passes the king's servants, they were to bow to him and pay him homage. For Mordecai, being a faithful Jew, this was not possible. Only God is to be worshiped, to be bowed to, and to be offered homage. The servants' kings tried to get Mordecai to explain why did he refuse to fulfill such a simple request? But he remained silent, and still would not bow. Because of this one act of disobedience, the central drama of the story begins to unfold that would not only affect the lives of Mordecai and Esther, but the whole fate of the Jewish people. Haman, after this blatant disobedience, issues an irrevocable irrevocable decree to not only kill Mordecai, but because Mordecai was a Jew, kill all the Jews of the kingdom just because he refused to bow to Haman. The decree sealed with the king's insignia that all Jews from the kingdom of Persia were to be arrested and killed in order to avoid a rebellion, another one of Haman's lies to the king. The day would be determined by casting lots, and it would be a day of reckoning, not only for Mordecai, but the entire Jewish population in the kingdom. When Mordecai discovered this decree, he did what a faithful Jew would do at the time. He put on sackcloth and ashes, a sign of penance and lamentation, and whipped bitterly at the king's gate, pleading with God in his prayer for God to act and rescue his people once again. One of Esther's attendants warned her about Mordecai's actions at the gate. Esther quickly dispatches them to give him some clothing. And it's at this time that Mordecai drops the bomb on Esther. He gives her attendant the decree issued by Haman to show Esther. The catch, Esther herself is a Jew, but the king does not know that, nor the royal court. What is Esther to do? She invites Mordecai to gather all the Jews in the region to fast for three days in order to prepare for her most difficult challenge. And she feels called to do the one thing that is most profound. And I think it's one of the best things we can do when we feel lost in our calling or God's plan. She turns to God and prays. And her prayer is beautiful. And I want to share it with you tonight. It's found in Esther chapter 14, verse 3 to 19. I'll read a bit of it because it's fairly lengthy, but it's a beautiful prayer to add to your repertoire. And she prayed to the Lord God of Israel and said, O my Lord, Thou only art our King, help me, who am alone and have no helper but Thee. For my danger is in my hand. Ever since I was born, I have heard in the tribe of my family that thou, O Lord, didst take Israel out of all the nations and our fathers from among all their ancestors for an everlasting inheritance. And that thou didst do for them all that thou didst promise. And now we have sinned before thee. And thou hast given us into the hands of our enemies because we glorified their gods. Thou art righteous, O Lord. And now they are not satisfied that we are bitter slavery, but they have covenanted with their idols to abolish what thy mouth has ordained and destroy thy inheritance, to stop the mouth of those who praise thee and to quench thy altar and the glory of thy house, to open the mouths of nations for the praise of vain idols, to magnify forever a mortal king. O Lord, do not surrender thy scepter to what has no being. Do not let them mock at our downfall, but turn their plan against themselves and make an example of the man who began this against us. Remember, O Lord, make thyself known in this time of our affliction and give me courage, O King of the gods and master of all dominion put eloquent speech in my mouth before the lion and turn their heart to hate the man who is fighting against us so that there may be an end of him and those who agree with him. But save us by thy hand and help me who am alone and have no helper but thee, O Lord. Esther as queen is the only Jew in a position high enough to intercede on their behalf. In those days, the queen had as much authority as the king and was seen as an advisor, an advocate, and an intercessor for the people. Queen Esther realizes that she has to have the courage and the strength to do something unprecedented. And she must risk her life to do so because of a Persian custom that awarded death to anyone who made an uninvited visit to the king's court. She has to speak to the king one-on-one, breaking the law in order to do this and risking her life. Now, remember, the previous king, or the previous queen, Queen Vashti, Had been deposed for disobeying the king. But Esther, I believe, inspired by God, comes up with a brilliant plan. We can say she was as peaceful as a dove, but as wise as a serpent. But first, she has to speak to the king. She enters the throne room, and the face of the king was furious. In fact, Esther faints due to fear and anxiety but God changes the heart of the king to one of gentleness and allows Esther to speak. She invites the king and Haman to a special banquet dinner. While Haman is walking to dinner, he sees Mordecai at the gate still in sackcloth and ashes and not bowing before him. But it was no matter to him, for in the distance he could see the gallows that are prepared for Mordecai's hand hanging. The day would be soon, and it made Haman go cheerfully to the dinner. Now, quick sidebar. In Scripture, if there's repetition, it means we should pay attention. A dinner got one queen deposed, And dinners are an important part of the story of Esther. They lead to the conflict, and in this case, the conclusion. On the second day of the dinner, Esther is invited by the king to make her petition known. What does she want? Even if it's half his kingdom, Esther has pleased the king. Esther reveals the truth and pleads the king to spare her and her people's lives from destruction. The king asks, who would do such a thing? And Esther points the finger at Haman. The king is rattled, his faithful servant, an enemy of Queen Esther. And he goes out to the garden to catch his breath, to kind of cool his head. And it's at this moment that Haman gains a bit of humility and with fear and trembling, pleads and begs Esther for his life. When the king returns, Esther is being clawed on and literally groped by Haman. The king becomes even madder, if that was possible, at the thought of Haman violating his queen. At that moment, the reward of Esther's petition is the death of Haman. And ironically, on the same gallows that would have been prepared for Mordecai and the rest of the Jewish population, he is hung. The king brings a new edict that the Jews were given the government support to avenge themselves upon their enemies. Mordecai was rewarded for his faithfulness to God and to the king. And just to backtrack, Haman actually failed to share with the king that Mordecai was never rewarded for the prevention of his assassination. Mordecai is rightly rewarded and essentially becomes the new Haman, the highest servant in all of the kingdom. Esther's character teaches us lessons. Ahasuerus is a king But weak and passive. Haman's limitless pride leads to his humiliation and downfall. Mordecai's faithfulness to God's law in the face of persecution leads to his exaltation. And Esther's willingness to risk her life for God's people is greatly rewarded with the sparing of the Jews and the vanquishing of their enemies. And through Esther's brave intercession And the shrewdness of Mordecai, the day brings the destruction of the Jews' enemies instead. Mordecai and Esther enshrine the day in the Feast of Purim, Hebrew for lots, which is celebrated by the Jews to this day. Esther shows us how the power of prayer and tenacity can help us to live out our call from God and to become saints. And we can become saints in whatever and wherever God has planted for us. Whatever adversaries or enemies we experience, as long as we put our faith and trust in God as Esther did, we can truly become saints. The end. Oh, right, I have to conclude my story. A lot like Esther, I, I was in an unexpected place. So let me conclude my story tonight. And just to recap, for, just to remind you what happened, uh, I was born and raised in Mississauga. At a young age, I thought I was gonna be a priest. I left the church in high school. I was invited by my old high school chaplain to mass and on Fridays, and eventually, I was invited to go to a retreat, a come and see weekend to think about the priesthood by the priest that was serving at this mass. I had a powerful experience of adoration, converted my life, turned it over, prayed, thought of being a priest, applied to the Archdiocese of Toronto, wasn't wasn't accepted, went back to my old high school chaplain, shared that I wanted to be a teacher or a chaplain. She asked me, what is my heart desiring? Connected me with Suki, who introduced me to the idea of discerning the priesthood again, or thinking about it through the St. Peter's Seminary, and invited me to do three things to go to Mass regularly, to go to confession at least once a month, and to pray adoration. So the conclusion of Father Danny's vocation story. No more parts after this, okay? This is it. This is lit. So after that experience, I started going back to Mass every day, daily. And I went to confession regularly, once a month, like she said. And I went to adoration half an hour to an hour, almost every week. And all of a sudden I discovered or rediscovered my vocation. My heart and my desire was to be a priest once again. What's interesting is I spoke to my mother, and earlier that year I told my mother I'm not interested in being a priest anymore, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm not gonna be a priest, it's not for me. I'm done, it's, this is silly anyways. And I told her like, you know what? I'm really thinking of being a priest one more time. She says, really? Is this, is this what you want, Danny? Is this gonna make you happy? I says, I don't know what's gonna make me happy, Mom, but I think God is calling me to be a priest. She said, okay, if God is calling you to be a priest, have faith in him, he'll lead you to where you need to be. So I connected with the rector of the seminary, that's kind of like the principal of the seminary, his name was Father Steve Belusik, and I started having a conversation with him, and saying, like, I heard about your seminary, I'm interested in coming down, and, uh, You know, I'd like to learn more about it. It's like, great. You know, you can't just come into the seminary. You have to have a diocese connected to you. But like, yeah, like we're more than welcome to share with you some information. So he sent me an email about some information about the seminary and left it at that. And a lot like the shrewdness of Mordecai and Esther, I I thought I had a brilliant plan. I thought I I got the perfect plan. I'm going to meet with the Archbishop of Toronto. At the time, it was Archbishop Thomas Collins. This is before he became Cardinal Collins. And I'm gonna plead my case that I want to study for your diocese at the, at the Seminary of St. Peter's. So I had my plan. I had it planned. I, I, I thought God was telling me, this is exactly what I want you to do. This is perfect. Yes, 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 yes. So I went and I'm excited. I'm like, this is great. It's all gonna work out. I approached his office, entered through the door. He says, Danny, how are you? He said, good to see you, Your, your Grace, how are you? He said, oh, very, very good, Danny. I'm actually getting ready to uh, head to Rome. He's like, oh, wonderful. Yeah, the, 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 the Pope has called me to be a Cardinal. I was like, that's excellent, that's great news. So, uh, I don't know if you know why I'm here. He says, as you know, I probably, probably I wasn't accepted into your seminary at St. Augustine. He's like, yes, yes, I heard that. I, That's very unfortunate, Danny. You know, I'm very, very disappointed. But, you know, okay, well, don't worry. I got a plan, Your Grace. I'm going to study for your diocese at St. Peter's Seminary. Oh. Oh, you are? Yeah, isn't that great? Danny, I'm afraid, no, you can't do that. I said, well, why not? Well, we have our own seminary. And if I put you in another seminary, the rector's going to ask me, what, you don't trust us to form this guy? Like, no, I have to put you in our seminary. But tell you what, I'm going to speak with the rector, and I'll see what I can do. If you don't hear back from me by next week, call my office, I'll have a message for you. So, I left the office, a little bit disappointed by saying, okay, I'll take it to, you know, the Lord will be, lead this holy man to make them realize they made a mistake. This is perfect. <laughs> I call a week later, and I ask for, you know, oh, is uh, Archbishop Collins there?" No, no, he's off to Rome, actually, he's being received in, a, in the cardinalship. Like, awesome, awesome, he's being a cardinal, that's great. Does he have a message for a Danny Santos? Did he leave something? He's like, actually, he did. It says no right now, does that make sense to you? I'm like, perfect, perfect. So I was disappointed, I was kind of like, oh, Lord, like another stumbling block, like I rediscovered my vocation, I, I feel called, like what are you saying to me? What, what, it's like, you keep putting roadblocks again and again and again. And I did the one thing I thought I could do. I asked the question, for the first time ever, I asked. I stopped telling the Lord what I wanted and I said, Lord, what do you want from me? You know, a lot of times our prayer should be, List, uh, uh, speak Lord, your servant is listening, but a lot of times it's like, listen Lord, your servant is speaking. That's how it was for my prayer life. It was a lot of like, Lord, you do this for me, and you can do this, and you do this. And for the first time ever, I told the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I was inspired. I was inspired, and the, the, the beautiful thing of the word inspired, inspire, The breath of the holy spirit to spires to breathe so the holy spirit the breath of the holy spirit came upon my heart and said call the seminary so i did i called father steve and i said father you know i I talked to the archbishop of toronto and it's not going to work He said okay but i gotta ask you one question do you need priests in the diocese of london and i remember his voice changed it was very strange his voice got deeper and it became so profound and he just said, we desperately need priests. And I said, okay, let me think about this for a minute before I make a decision. So I hung up the phone and I took that to prayer. Kind of like Esther, I just went to the Lord and I asked, okay Lord, I just had this answer, what do you want me to do? And then I realized that a lot of the saints before me had learned to say yes to God's will, even if they were not sure what that plan looked like. And I was inspired by St. Paul. St. Paul, if you remember, was Saul. He had a conversion after his road to Damascus experience, and his first mission felt like he was called to go to the synagogues and preach to the Jews, his own people. But he was ostracized and kicked out. And eventually he realized, my mission is bigger my mission is to go out to the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, and bring them closer to Christ. And I realized, Lord, is that what you're saying to me? Are you saying that I want to preach to the people of Toronto, I, want, I grew up in Toronto, I love Toronto, but you want me to be in London? Is that what it is? So I connected with Father Matt Kaczarski in the summer and I said, you know what? I think I'm called to the Diocese of London. And the first question he asked me, is like, are you, uh, are you married? I'm like, no, why would you ask that? He's like, don't worry. I get a lot of guys as vocations directors that say they're married. I'm like, okay, you're already like top number one right now. And he asked me a question. He says, well, why London? And he said, you know what? If you can answer that for me, I'd love that too. <laughs> I said, I don't know. I, I just, I feel drawn to this place. I feel like my heart is calling me to come here. I feel like the Lord is saying to me to take a risk. Take a risk. So I applied through the Diocese of London to the seminary, St. Peter's. I filled up my application, filled up my form, went for my interviews. And I remember my last day, I went for my psychological. And Father Steve says, uh, don't worry, you know, we're gonna have a discussion about your, 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 your case and we'll come out and give you an answer right away. I said, okay, I'm looking forward to this. And I waited, and I waited. And I waited, almost an hour, and I was just slumped along the hallway, I was, I was in the chapel praying, I was like, okay, Lord, like, come on, let's get, let's get going, let's get this going. And he, said, and he said, Danny, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm waiting for an answer, Father. Oh, that's right, that's right, I completely forgot, let, let me bring you to my office. Well, Danny, we looked at your application, we looked at your psychological test, we had a discussion with the bishop, and uh, you know what? We feel that you're called to at least discern or think about being a priest in the Diocese of London, so congratulations. That was in the summer of 2010. I started my formation at St. Peter's Seminary in September of 2010. But the story's not over, because everyone's like, yeah, congratulations, you became a priest. No, not yet, not yet, not yet. Back up, back up, love. I had to learn a very important lesson about God's will at the seminary. And I think the seminary Through good people, through good professors, but most importantly, through my human formation counselor there, Josephine Harriet, and my spiritual director, Father Frank O'Connor, opened my eyes to my own failings and to my own weaknesses. And for the first time ever in my life, I had to be vulnerable. And the word vulnerable means to be wounded. It was to show my woundedness, because by his wounds we are healed, and Jesus heals us through our own wounds. I remember I was standing before the seminary faculty, and I was acting like I was a know-it-all. Like, I knew everything about every council, I knew everything about this, I knew everything about that. I was a real annoying seminarian, you know? You know, the, the, I, it's like I heard this terrible joke once, it's like, you know, what's the difference between uh, a seminarian and a terrorist? You can negotiate with a terrorist. You can negotiate with a seminarian often. <laughs> They're good men. If they're watching, you guys are good guys. Trust me. You're better than I was. Trust me. And I got pulled in by the faculty one day. Father al pulled me into his room in the formation office. And he said, Danny, how can I say this charitably to you? You don't have to prove anything. Like, what do you mean? You don't have to prove why you're here. You have to prove you're smarter than guys. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. You're here. You're smarter than you think. But you don't have to show off. Like, just be humble. Be humble. Your intelligence will make you a good priest. A humble heart of Jesus will make you a good priest. And I said, well, thanks. But deep down, I'm like, ah, you know, that's just, that's just the faculty. But one day, I took it to heart. And I said, okay, I'm gonna go talk to another person. I'm gonna talk to Josephine Harriet. She was the human formation counselor. And we believe at the seminary, human formation is important. You know, grace builds on nature. If you have a man who's a jerk, He's probably gonna be a jerk of a priest if he doesn't change his attitude. So I went to Josephine and I shared my heart and I basically did exactly like I did with Mr. Video. I opened up my heart and I shared with her my thoughts and my fears and my worries, my anxiety. And she asks me, do you love God? I thought, "What, what, what kind of question is that? Of course I love God. No, no, no. Do you love God? I said, of course. like." I understand like you know the theology no 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 do you love god So what do you mean She said you're all pure in the mind in the brain what about the heart Have you experienced god's love I said What experience god's love She said Look I want you to go to the chapel. And I want you to say a very brief prayer. Lord, show me your love and mercy. Lord, show me your love and mercy. Lord, show me your love and mercy. Just go. So I did that. And I'm like, oh, here we go. So I knelt on the kneeler, the pray do, and I'm just like, Lord, show me your love and mercy. And a little bit slower. Lord, show me your love and mercy. A little bit slower and calmer. Lord, show me your love and mercy. And all of a sudden, my heart turned because I experienced the story of the prodigal son and the prodigal father. And it was that moment, it was almost like a light switch in my heart went off to realize, Danny, you're doing everything wrong because you're trying to win my love for you you don't have to win it. I give it to you freely. I'm there for you. Don't be afraid. I realized my faith was based on a checklist. You know, prayed the rosary? Check. Did the breviary? Check. Went to Mass? Check. And I was trying to earn merit points. To earn God's love. But after this experience... I realized I don't have to earn anything. God loves me. And everything I do now is a response to that love, a response to that gift of mercy. It changed my whole life. It changed who I am. And that's why I think God called me to that particular time, to that particular place, in that particular moment to transform my heart and heart because I always reflect, what if I was accepted at St. Augustine's? I probably would have thought, I'm smart enough. I'm good enough. I could do my own plan. Would I have been formed the same? Maybe, maybe not. But it's a beautiful message for all of us. God has a plan for each one of us. A plan of sheer goodness. And I don't know what your plan is, and I don't know what my plan has in the future. But I do know this. God loves us dearly. He loves us so much that He didn't just give us one more prophet, one more king, but He gave us His only begotten Son, Jesus, so that we may not perish or die, but have life everlasting with Him. After that experience, I went to confession. I went to Father Frank O'Connor, and my, my, my eyes were just watering. And I was in tears, absolute tears. And I was like, it was a real ugly cry, I would describe it. And I'm like, Father, I don't love Jesus. I don't love God. I haven't been a... He's like, it's okay, it's okay. I said, God loves you. Use this experience to help others who struggle with the idea of a loving God. To allow them to understand and also to experience his love. That's been my mission ever since. You know, people say, what's your job as vocation director? Is your job to help me find my vocation? Yeah, part of it. Is, my, is your job to help me to be happy? Yeah, could, that could be it. But ultimately, ultimately, my goal is to help people to discover God's goodness, God's love, and God's mercy. Because when we're in a relationship with God, I think it's a summary of all three, Abraham, David, and Esther because of their deep relationship with God, they were able to not fully see God's plan, but to trust it, to trust it. And I encourage all of you, trust in God's plan. Trust that God has placed the right people in your life in this particular place, in this particular time, to help you to become saints. That God has given you all the gifts you need, all the gifts that you deserve to be the saints that he needs today. God's mission is ours now. But God has given us all that we need in order to accomplish it. God is love, and where there is love, there is God. So I've been a priest now for eight years. Thanks be to God, ordained April 25th, 2015. So I hope this mission helped you to not only appreciate the different stories in scripture, but I hope it helped you to see that God's plan for your life, that each one of you are called. And that call is a gift, but that gift is given freely, ultimately from a God who loves us. And we can experience his love in our own faith, in our own community, with the people in our lives. And you don't have to go look for holiness elsewhere. So question before I end this mission. How many of you want to be a saint? Put your hands if you want to be a saint. (laughs) Good, good. Mission accomplished. (laughs)